0: Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the the message message you're about about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. I want to start by asking a very interesting question. How many of you here like adventure games? How many of you here like adventure games? No one, none. If if not anybody, I know I know my wife does. <laughs> she would play adventure games over, over sporting games any day, anytime. But how many of you like adventure games? How many of you even play games at all? Okay. Many of you. But listen, you like adventure games? Alright, great. Now, there's one thing that many of us do when we start, when we play adventure games, and it is that time when the story mode is going on. And you don't want to finish listening to the story mode Who knows what I'm talking about You just want to skip and get into the game Like why why, why all this talk Like please bros Let's just shoot somebody Can we just shoot somebody already <laughs> You know and we just want to skip But many times Usually when we get into the game There's always an instruction That is tied to that story mode So They might not tell you Okay pick up the corset and we are looking for and they define what a corset means at the beginning of the of the game but because you didn't listen to the story mode you don't know what you're doing
1: now you're running around your whole map
0: trying to solve the problem but simply because you didn't listen to the instructions in the story mode you're, you're stuck now an analogy that would work for those who you know probably have assembled furniture before, have you ever had to assemble your furniture yourself before? Anybody? Now sometime we bought this shelf in our house and, you know, I I think it's the the bar where we we, were close to the TV, that stuff you put your stand bar on and if your TV is not like hanging you probably stand it on that type of bar, it's that shelf we bought and so we were compiling it together, myself and Simi and in the process of compiling it we got to a particular stage you know, it was not clear in the manual so I just said you know what am I not an engineering student? I'm not an engineering student but then I just felt like you know what let me just let me just go ahead and just fit this thing in so we fit it in, we put the wood we, we joined everything then we got to the end and we saw that something else was supposed to enter into that part of the wood but we placed it upside down guess what? something that should have taken smaller time because I rushed we had to now remove the whole thing again, switch it before now building. Now, we had to spend longer on building that stuff simply because I rushed that Are I get what I'm saying. Simply because I rushed that part. Now what we learned from this is very simple. You don't jump into anything without following the guideline. You don't start anything without reading the instructions it's the safest most important effective way to go about anything and this is the same when it comes to the bible the bible is a divine book but it is also a literary material did you hear that it is what it is also what a literary material and so the same way we we, we're learning and we've learned not to jump into anything without reading the manual you know those of you that you buy TV and you don't want to check the manual or you feel like, you know what? It cannot be wiser than me. You can't do the same with the Bible. Are you getting what I'm saying? You can't do the same with the Bible. Because yes, the Bible is a divine book, it's also a literary material. Meaning you must understand its nature before attempting to read it. You must understand what it is all about before atten- attempting to read it unless you would make a mistake. When you're trying to read it, the Bible says in Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, it says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The word is given by the inspiration of God. There, it, it, it means that Scripture is God-breathed, meaning God gave us Scripture, meaning Scripture is inspired by God. So all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It says it's profitable for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So scriptures are given by God. I said that to prove to you first of all, that yes, scripture is given by God, meaning that the Bible is a divine book. Amen. The Bible is what? Is a divine book. But in 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible also said that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. It says, men of God wrote, inspired by the Holy Ghost. Now the word, men of God, the word inspired here, is the word that means to be born along. A good way to understand being born along is like a ship that is on water. Amen. You might be directing it in a direction, but what is happening? The wave can actually carry it. Are you seeing what I'm saying? The wave can carry it. So when he says, men of God wrote, inspired by the Holy Ghost, it means the men themselves wrote but the inspiration is by the Holy Ghost, this brings to you the balance, the ultimate balance of the Bible, which makes it both a divine book and a literary material, meaning God communicated but he communicated through men, those men communicated in language Those men communicated in the way they were able to relay the information. Those men used the common principles of human language to communicate what God was telling them to write. Those men used the culture of the people that they are trying to talk to to help them understand. Is this clear to you? So, you might tell me, Sir, can you tell your wife for me that I'm going to see her? Now that was what you said, I can go to her and use something else that she might understand to help her understand your message, do you see that? The message was inspired by her but I communicated in my own way, are you seeing this? I communicated in my own way, I communicated in a way that she would understand. So the bible is both a divine book but it is also what? A literary material. And this means when approaching the scriptures, we must use common rules of language to understand. Listen, what I'm doing here is a recap of what I already taught you. Alright, this is not the first time you're hearing this. And so our job is to use common principles of language to understand what the writer intended. And so in this series, that's what we're also going to do. When we study a book, we must learn to approach it the right way. We can't just jump into the Bible and read it without understanding how to go about it. Without understanding its structure, its nature and its content. And so in this series, we're going to be studying the book of Daniel. And there's a way to study the book of Daniel. There is a way. We can't just go into it and just start reading. There is a way to study the book of Daniel. There's a way to study the whole Bible. There is a way. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Listen, I want you to pay attention in this series because this series, I don't know, it's important for many reasons. It's important to teach you how to read Old Testament books. It's also important for the lesson it's going to give you because many of you would live in hostile situations. You will not always be in that situation that supports the growth of your faith. Are you getting me? You will not always be in that situation that supports your growth, that supports your faith. You will face persecution. This teaching is going to show you how to survive in those situations. Because even the common human today is living in a time where Christianity is being persecuted. Do you know the world doesn't judge every other thing on the same level it judges Christianity. People can do things and get get and, and get and just you know get away with it, but not Christians because people are out there for us. So how do you survive in a hostile world? How do you survive when everyone around you is doing the opposite of what you stand for? How do you survive when you might lose jobs and friends because of what you believe? How would you survive? I want to japa i want to japa but you don't know how to survive in exile how would you survive that's what this teaching is going to do for you look to the 24 and verse 13. the bible says now behold two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from jerusalem and they talked together of all these things which had happened so it was while they conversed and reasoned that jesus himself drew near." And went with them. Backstory to this. The disciples had gone to the tomb. They didn't find the body of Jesus. This was the resurrection. You know. Just after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples didn't find the body. And Jesus appeared to the disciples. And told them. You know. That he is risen. Now these two guys were part of the disciples. That heard the gist later. From the ones who went to the tomb. And now they are walking. From the company of the other disciples. To a place called Emmaus. And the journey was supposed to take seven miles. And when you calculate a seven-mile journey, it's probably going to take about three hours. So they were walking for about three hours. And while they were walking, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to them. Now let's continue reading. In verse 16, the Bible says, But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is it that you are having with one another as you walk and you are sad? And the one whose name was Cleopas said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have happened here in these days? And he said what things? So they said the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we're hoping that it is him who is gonna redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this. This is the third day since this, this is the third day since these things happened. When they did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a visions the vision rather of angels who said he was alive. So these guys had heard the testimony that Jesus was alive from the other disciples. But yet they still didn't believe. They were sad and they were speaking. And Jesus gets close to them. In verse twenty-four, it says that Seven of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, as the women had said. But he did not. But him they did not see. In verse twenty-five, Jesus is now responding to them, and it was important the way Jesus responded to them. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter His glory. And beginning from Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all things, He expounded to them in all the scripture of the things concerning Himself. Now, why am I reading this text to you? I'm reading this text to you to show you how Jesus handled the reading of the Bible. Because if you're going to learn how to read the Bible, you must see How Jesus did it. Jesus wanted to prove to them that the Messiah is supposed to, you know, to to rise from the dead on the third day. Which they knew, but they did not believe. What did the Bible say Jesus did? It says, beginning from Moses and all the prophets. And I've told you before that Moses and all the prophets is referring to what? The Old Testament canon. The Torah, that's the the book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the Toronomy, five books, down to the books of the prophets, which was where the Bible ended. So Jesus did a Bible study for them on that journey, showing them himself in scriptures, showing them the prophecies about the Christ and the fact that he would die and resurrect from scriptures. This is very important. He called them fools. And slow, that's what it means to be fools. To be slow to comprehend. They couldn't put together. That was what he said. They couldn't put together. He says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer this thing and enter into his glory? So from scriptures, he expounded to them. He expounded to them. Later in that chapter, he appeared to them again. Luke chapter 24 verse 36. He appeared to the other disciples. Go to Luke chapter 24 verse 36, everybody. The Bible says, now as they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and feet that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food here? And they gave him a piece of pork, fish, and honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Verse 44 The Bible says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Do you see that? So he says that some things were written about him. Where was it written? in the law of Moses, you see, the Torah in the Psalms, you know the Psalms and then in where? in the prophets this is also talking about the Old Testament Anon in verse forty-five, the Bible says and he opened their understanding so before he said they could not put together now the Bible says he opened their understanding he opened their mind that they may understand that they may comprehend the scripture are you getting this? The word here is the word dianoigo, D-I-A-N-O-I-G-O, which means to open thoroughly or to expound. So he was doing to these guys the same thing he did to the first guys on the way to Emmaus. He expounded to them. He put, he had them put together. He explained to them from the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. This is an approach to Bible study that will change your Bible study culture totally. This is the way to approach Bible study. The ability to put together and comprehend the Bible and read it together. Because the Bible is meant to be read together. Not Old Testament separate and New Testament separate. Mm -mm. The Bible read together. The Old Testament in the light of the New Testament and the New Testament in the light of the Old Testament. That's how the Bible should be read. It's to be read together. The division should not be there. And this is how you put together by reading together so that the testimony of jesus is revealed to you clearly in scriptures you have to read together how about the apostles how did they approach studying the bible 2nd timothy chapter 3 verse 14 2nd timothy 3 verse 14 or 2nd timothy 3 verse 14 are you all there 2nd timothy 3 verse 14 the bible says but you must continue in the things which you have learned And being assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? He's telling Timothy that from childhood Timothy has known what? The holy holy scriptures. When he's talking about scriptures, what is he talking about the Old Testament, right? Because the New Testament had not been written. Many times when you see the word scripture used in the New Testament, He refers to the old because the new has not been written. Hallelujah. And so, he was telling Timothy that you know the scriptures. He meant that he knew the scriptures because the the kids in those times, they knew the scriptures by heart. Are you learning something? They knew the scriptures by heart. So he was telling him, he says, you've known the scriptures. He says, but the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation by faith in christ jesus so isn't it a bit confusing why would paul be telling timothy that he will read the old testament and learn about salvation by faith in christ jesus are you getting this so why would paul be telling timothy that he should read the old testament and in the old testament to learn about salvation by faith in christ jesus was jesus in the old testament yes he was (laughs) what i mean is this He wasn't explicitly mentioned, but Paul is telling you that he's in the Old Testament. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. That when he reads the Old Testament, he's going to learn about salvation by faith in Christ. This helps you understand that the Bible should be read together as well. And that it is testifying of Jesus. So similar to what Jesus did, and similar to how Jesus handled the scripture, Paul is telling Timothy, you know the Old Testament. And those scriptures will teach you about salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. So like Jesus, Paul is saying that when you study the scriptures, you will get wisdom about salvation by faith in Jesus. So the Old Testament is important. It was important for Jesus, it was important for Paul. What you're beginning to see is that if Jesus was in the Old Testament and Jesus is in the New Testament, then the central theme of the Bible is who? It's Jesus. Because if he says that, you know, from Moses, to, from Moses to all the prophets, he taught them about himself in scriptures. The Gospels are about him. The Epistles are about him and what he taught. Then you're beginning to see what the central theme of the Bible is. Then Jesus himself makes a claim. In John chapter 5 and verse 39. He said, you search through scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. He says, and these are they which testify of me, I this is powerful did, did you see that? he said, "These are they that do what? that testify of me meaning that the scriptures are testifying of who? of Jesus I, I don't think the you people I'm teaching are getting what I am teaching them the whole of the, of the scriptures is testifying of who? of Jesus so the central theme of the bible is Jesus and the salvation plan is Jesus and so it's a full story that must be read together you've you, you, you heard me say it before that to understand the verse, you must read it in the context of the chapter the chapter and the context of the book the book in the context of the whole Bible because there is a thematic structure of the Bible everything the writers wrote there is something that God is ultimately trying to show you in the Bible We've said it before that the central theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ. we said it before also, that the Old Testament, that, that the Bible is a compendium of the plan, provision, and announcement of salvation. Remember? Compendium of what? Plan, provision, announcement. In the Old Testament, he planned it. He showed the plan. He prophesied about it. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, he provided it. In the epistles, it was proclaimed. Are you seeing that? It was announced. So the central theme is Jesus and the salvation plan. There's a popular saying that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So it must be read together. It must be read together. So to understand the New Testament, you have to read it in the light of the old, like I said before, and the old also in the light of the new. The Bible is a comprehensive book that way. So a good Bible student reads every book of the Bible according to the full context of the Bible. That's the pattern we learn from Jesus and the apostles. That's the pattern we see in the scriptures. Jesus wanted to explain something. He took them to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. This is what I'm saying. He wanted to explain one thing. He took them there. Paul wanted to explain to them. He took them to Psalms. Are you seeing this? He took them to Psalms. It took them to Joel. He says that this is the fulfillment of the prophet, of the prophecy of the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit. You see, between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 10, they quoted the old testament more than 10 times. That's the that's the culture of Bible study. That's how you understand the Bible. Are you getting this? That's how you understand the Bible. And so if the writer, <laughs> if the, the central himself has claimed now that the, the books are talking about him. What other evidence do you have? Jesus has said, he says that you pour through scriptures and then you think you find it another right. I They are new which of me. it's about me. It's about me. Are you getting this? So when you read the Old Testament narratives, poetry and other literature, you want to find out how does it fit in the overall plan of God in Jesus. How does this book fit? And that's how we're going to take the book of Daniel. How does Daniel fit Ultimately, in God's plan, in the central theme of the Bible, are you saying this? How does it fit? So, how do we read the book of Daniel? If you think that today we'll do Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, you are mistaken. I doubt that we will enter Daniel 1-7 today <laughs> with the way we are going. So, just be patient and be learning. <laughs> Amen. So, how do we read the book of Daniel? The best way. To study any book of the Bible is to approach it after understanding the nature of the book. The nature of the book. The nature of the book. Remember I said it's a literary material. Meaning what does literary material mean? It means it's a, it's a written matter. Either it's published or unpublished whatever it is, it's written matter. And so in the Bible we have different genres. For example, in the Old Testament we have laws and statutes. We have covenants. We have prophetic oracles. We have prayers. We have songs of praise. We have thanksgiving, We have lamentations. We have wisdom sayings. We have genealogy. We have parables and fables. We have poetic imagery. Using metaphors, similes, symbolism. We have apocalyptic visions. We have letters. We have narratives. These are different things that the writers of the Old Testament have used to pass their message in the Old Testament. Do you see that? pass their message in the old testament different writing styles to pass their message in the old testament and so when you want to read the book you have to understand the nature of the book itself and this is important you have to understand the nature of the book now having this mind we must then adapt our reading and our study to accommodate the different writing styles are you getting this meaning that the way you are going to read a prophetic imagery a poetic imagery rather is different from the way you read a narrative because a narrative is trying to be literal, poetic imagery is going to use metaphors, similes are you seeing what I'm saying? so you have to know the difference in the writing you have to know the difference in the writing that's the way you're going to be able to understand what is going on and remember, let's not forget there are two steps to Bible interpretation number one is what? exigencies number two is what? Herenetics, what is exegesis? Exegesis involves carefully and systematically studying the scripture to discover the original intended meaning. When you are doing exegesis you are trying to understand what it meant to them in the there and then. What were the original audience supposed to receive? Remember the Bible was not written to you but it was written for you. It was written to a specific people that you must discover. So. Our first job, and we are going to use this same principle in studying Daniel. Our first job is, who was he writing to? What was he trying to communicate to them? That's what we are going to try to do in the book of Daniel. The second task is hermeneutics, which is understanding the here and now. That is, using what we've discovered about the writer's intention to get contemporary relevance. Meaning, how do we learn from this story? Are you getting this? How does this affect us? So we must first do the there and then before we do the here and now. So as we try to do this, we're breaking down the book gradually. We're breaking down the book gradually. So we're going to first do exegesis before we try to do hermeneutics. A lot of you have jumped into Daniel doing hermeneutics. But you should go doing exegesis first. Amen. Go doing what? Exegesis first. And that's what we're going to do. Romans chapter 15 verse 4, the Bible says, For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. So, it was not written to us, but it was written for us, for our learning. And actually, if we are going to approach this in the right way to interpret, it was actually talking about some specific which was their learning, but it applies to us as well because we are believers. Do you get what I'm saying? So it was also written for Arlen Romans chapter 15 verse 4 was what we just read. So where does Daniel fit in the overall big picture of the Bible? Remember the central theme of the Bible is what? Is salvation. How does the book of Daniel fit? Why is there even the book of Daniel? Why did they see fit to add Daniel into the canon of scripture? Have you thought of that before? Why did they see fit to add Daniel into the canon of Scripture? Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. We've not still started Daniel, because I have to read Daniel 1 to you. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. So, what does the Bible say? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it a good bible student cannot go past that full stop please who is Jehoiakim? where Judah? who is Nebuchadnezzar? where is Babylon? and why was Jerusalem besieged? Are uh, you see what I am saying I just added it there so that you see why we cannot even enter Daniel first first of all we, we must first understand what is going on here? Can be attacking Jerusalem Like, please <laughs> What did they do? Why are they attacking Jerusalem? So what led to Daniel 1 verse 1 Anyways To understand what led to Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 We must understand where it all started from Genesis <laughs> Hallelujah! Because you must know the story so far it must know the story so far And so, what has happened? How does Daniel fit into the big picture of the Bible? Well, Moses was writing from Genesis. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books. It's called the Torah. And Moses was writing in Genesis and he was trying to document God's plan for salvation, which is the central theme of the Bible. But in his own way, he was telling the future generations of Israel their origin. You see, that's why Genesis was written, to tell the future generations of Israel where they came from. So he tells the story of Adam, which means mankind, and Eve, which means life. These two were the representatives of mankind before God and before Moses. So Moses is is writing about them. He's trying to give the Israelites a story of of their history. He's trying to give future generations a story of where they are coming from. So Moses' story had to follow a lineage. But first, he described how man fell and how death entered into the world. So man was presented with an opportunity. I'm not gonna go into the deep details of any of the story because I believe you know the story. So I'm just gonna give you the general idea of the book. Are you getting this? So what Moses documented was how man was presented an opportunity. And the opportunity was for man to trust God's definition of good and evil, but he also had an option disobedience so listen the main point of that story is to show you that God said don't eat the tree of knowledge of what of good and evil the day you eat it you will die In, in, in doing that God defined what is good and what is not in the garden you can eat any other tree but this one so man had a choice here And God gave man, in quote, autonomy to make a decision, make a choice between eating the fruit, thereby disobeying me or not eating the fruit and accepting my definition of good and evil. Are you getting this? So Moses was telling the future generation, know your origin, this is where it all started from. This is where it started from. But rather than accept God's definition of good and evil, what happened? man took the autonomy that God gave him and rebelled against God are you seeing that? and yes, the devil was involved but there was autonomy Uh, you know, so Adam could choose Eve could choose the devil came, deceived Eve she ate the fruit, she convinced Adam he ate the fruit and now rather than accepting God's definition of good and evil they let their curiosity lead them to challenge that are you seeing what I'm saying? to challenge that by eating the fruit And so thereby eating the fruit, they caused the separation between themselves and God. Are you seeing this? And so man became separate from God. This is the original problem. This is the issue that the rest of the Bible now is trying to solve. Man fell. And man fell, death entered into the world. Are you seeing this? Man sinned, death entered the world. Now man is separate from God. Man is sinful. Man is sinful. He has disobeyed God. He has rebelled against God. And the rebellion against God has caused it such that man cannot be close to God in that sense anymore because he carries sin. And remember, God is perfect. In Him, there is no sin. you saying this. In Him, there is no sin. And that's why there's a problem. Now man is separate. And so God is looking for a way to reconcile man back to himself. But first, that evil... You know, that, that sin led man to die, led the earth to die, and from there on, man started to walk in sin. He started to walk in sin. There became a propensity in man as well. He started to walk in sin. Are you learning something? Yes, sir. It was, you know, let me quickly let me really just give you a brain teaser. You know, think about it. When God defined what was good and what was bad, It wasn't a problem that they were naked. Are you see what I'm saying? It wasn't a problem that they were naked. The moment they went there, and ate of that tree, instantly they knew they were naked. Are you see what I'm saying? They knew they were naked, but it was not only that they knew they were naked. They were what ashamed. Are you seeing this? They were ashamed. So it, 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 it was a challenge on what God had called good. It was a challenge of what God has called good and what God has called bad. It was rebellion against God. It's not about if it was apple or orange that they ate. It was about the rebellion against the autonomy that God gave them. Further down the story, you have Cain who killed his brother. What happened? Bring sacrifices to me. Right? You bring this, you bring this. And God said, Ibel's own is the acceptable one. I get what I'm saying. Abel's one is the acceptable one. Now Cain is there and God says be careful because sin is knocking at your door. Are you saying this? Sin is knocking at your door. I have defined what is acceptable. I did not say you did wrong. I'm telling you what I'm accepting. You brought your best but it's not what I want. God was already giving them a hint that if you are going to be saved, you cannot continue to rebel against me. What did Cain do? He killed Abel. Yet again, God gave you autonomy. You rebelled. You rebelled against the autonomy. Are you seeing that? You rebelled. And because of that again, what happened? Man was sent out of the garden for rebellion. Cain was sent out of the presence of God for rebellion. Are you seeing a pattern? Sent out of the garden for rebellion. God is giving man a hint that his work to restore man to himself is going to be on his own terms, not on man's terms. But man is saying, mankind is saying, you know, we still have them, so we want to do what we want to do. So Cain and Abel are learning that the acceptable sacrifice to God is not what you want, it's what God says. And God says his blood, not the works of your hand. God was trying to show them a picture. But all he commanded was obedience. All he commanded was obedience. He was obedience. Anyways, other than them, we had said... And then the, 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 the lineage continues from Seth to Lamech to Noah before the wiping of the earth by the flood leaving only Noah and his family and Not because Noah and his family were good You have to be careful also Because do you know the senior and the younger sister slept with the father? So first of all, you would have been wrong if you go to Genesis trying to learn morals No, no, it's not them. Noah's own was the one that got his father drunk Right? And saw so his nakedness I don't want to explain what that nakedness means, but it's well. <laughs> I wish you understood the people that God saved. They were not, in quotes, the best. Why did God save them? Because they believed in God. Which you would see becomes the theme later. That you shall have no other God but me. I am to work. I'm telling you what I'm teaching you this to pay for it in Bible class. listen, this is important it begins to set the theme of the world of the Old Testament that God begins to say you shall have no other God but me do you know, if all the Israelites did was to believe that there is no other God but Jehovah they would have been saved by that because in doing that they believed in the salvation plan which was to come so Noah's family were not necessarily good people but they were saved because they believed are you getting this they were saved they were saved now the earth was was well, you know was wiped out and we later learned in the new testament that the flood was a symbol of baptism god was showing the washing away of sin from this world to keep the righteous are you see what i'm saying so the flood was in quote a baptism that's what we later learned in the new testament the common thing here is rebellion against god and God showing that I am God and God alone Are you learning something? Mankind receives autonomy from God uses the autonomy to rebel against God In the rest of Genesis the Bible then zooms in to one family but listen God wants to restore mankind to that original Eden That that was the plan God was looking for ways to restore mankind So after Noah Noah you learn about you know the rebuilding of the world But then the same problem continues because it just seems like they went back to the same thing. Right? They went back to the same thing. Then later, you see Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the 12 sons, the 12 patriarchs. And so humanity grows and humanity is just as bad as before. And now we have Abraham and God then gives a promise to Abraham. He tells him that in him shall the nations of the earth be blessed. Are you seeing this? In him shall the nation. God was telling him how he's going to reconcile. Not in him, rather. He said that he will have many sons, rather. And those sons will be after his order. God called Abraham righteous by faith. God was showing them that faith in him is the way. That promise fell from Abraham to Jacob. It was a promise of salvation. Are you seeing this? It was a promise of salvation from Abraham to Jacob, from Jacob to the 12 sons. The 12 sons are the ones who, who begin the nation Israel their father's name Jacob it was turned to what? Israel later on that's why they are called the 12, tribes, the 12 tribes of what? of Israel are you seeing this? so that's how that tribe came but remember there was a promise from Abraham to Jacob are you seeing this? down to the sons so now the bible zooms into this one family and lineage why? because there was a promise over them a promise of salvation so Jacob had sons But he preferred Joseph. So his brothers decided, you know what? How did our father prefer Joseph? They decided to sell him to slavery. But rather than dying in exile, he was promoted and became the ruler. And when there was famine, he was in just the right position to save his family. Are you getting this? He was in just the right position to save his family. Just the right position to save his family. And the the book of Genesis ends here where Joseph is with his brothers and he's saving them and he tells them something that you should never forget. He said, you meant it for evil, but God planned it for good. What you learn from Genesis is that God provides grace. Man rebels against the grace, but God still uses that to show himself as merciful he still continues to show them mercy are you seeing what I'm saying he continues to show them mercy they keep rebelling God keeps showing mercy Adam and Eve even though he chased them out of the garden he was already creating a plan for salvation he was already hinting them but they kept rebelling they kept rebelling are you seeing this and Genesis ends here the tribe of Israel grew and multiplied in Egypt multiplied in Egypt for 400 years until a king came who did not know Joseph now the children of Israel who still had the promise on them were enslaved so Exodus chapter 1 to 18 describes how Moses leads them out of slavery in Egypt a plague comes to Egypt, 12 plagues I believe came to Egypt different ones to show Pharaoh that even though these people are enslaved under you because of their rebellion I am still their God Hi, are you seeing what I am saying? It did not matter that they were rebelling against God. God was still going to free them from slavery because of his promise. Are you learning something? Because of his promise, he was still going to free them. So he says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. Now here is the problem with those who fight against Israel. They forget that they are people of covenant. They are people of promise. So every time they fight against Israel, they try to measure up with the God of Israel. That's why when the signs were shown, Pharaoh brought his other magicians because he tried to show that they had gods, like God. He was trying to show that the gods of Egypt, in quotes, could could measure up to God. But God knew what was going to solve the problem. So the tenth plague came with the Passover. Everybody stay in your house, put the blood of a lamb on your lintel. God was telling them of how he's going to rescue them in the future as well. They didn't know. But still, the plagues came. And after that, Pharaoh's son died. Now, Pharaoh says, You know what? Leave here. I don't want you guys again. God shows him that I'm greater than you. You know, when you see that the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God gave Pharaoh many opportunities to repent. Pharaoh wanted to measure up to the God of, his, of, of Israel. And every opportunity he got made his defeat louder. It made his defeat louder. And so he said they should go. But rather than allow them go, he started chasing them. That was what caused him to die. Listen, it's always dangerous to try to measure up against God, which you would learn in the book of Daniel. So now we chased them. And they saw the miracle of walking through the, the Red Sea. And they followed. You must have mind to follow. You must have mind to, <laughs> to follow. And now the water closes up on them and they die with all their chariots. And maybe you think, maybe I'm just giving you a super story, you know? Archaeological studies have happened today that show the remains of chariots at the bed of the Red Sea. I get what I'm saying, at the bed of the Red Sea. So I'm telling you a real story that happened with a real lineage of people. This is the story of the Bible. In Exodus 20 to 40, God gave them laws. And God ordered Moses to build a tent so he can come and tabernacle with them, come and stay with them. And the goal was that God wanted to dwell amongst his people, but rather, they started to worship idols. And now, they can't come close to God. Are you seeing what I'm saying? They can't come. They start to worship idols. Now they can't come close to the tabernacle. Then we go to the book of Leviticus. Are you seeing the progression of the story? Now it has zero kingdom teenage that God has given a promise. We go to the, 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 um, the book of Leviticus. What does Leviticus cover? It simply covers God's presence with them. He's so good and God came there for them, but now they can't come close. And so Leviticus taught them how to abide with the presence of God without dying. Are you mm-hmm. seeing what I'm saying? That's what the book of Leviticus was teaching them. God had given them instructions on how to abide without dying. There's, you know there are some things if you do in that time, you might do it not knowing what to be dying. So the guy that died because he carried the ark, they have told you if you want to abide with God's holiness, you have to do this, he did not do it, he held the ark, he died. So you begin to see Leviticus teach them about certain rituals on what they must do to be holy, teach them about priesthood, who the priests are, teach them about purity, they received moral laws, they received feasts and things to do to honor the holiness of the Lord. But in that also, God was telling them about how he was going to make them holy. Are you seeing this? So, they had to wash. They had to do this. The priest, the priest had to wash, cover himself with blood. They had to do certain things to be fed to their salvation. Have two lambs, kill one, and leave the other one to go. Which, imp- which implied the lamb that was coming to take their sins away. God was still trying to entreat and teach them and prepare them even because of their rebellion it was harder so all this was God teaching them how he will save the world and wash them clean then we go to the book of Numbers and now in Numbers they are on their way to the promised land and this is is the part that is sad the journey to the promised land was supposed to take 2 weeks it ended up taking 40 years why? you rebel against God (laughs) God sends you to exile what happened how is it taking 40 years something that should have taken just two weeks what happened they sent spies to look at the promised land they saw giants and one of the things that Leviticus was teaching them also is because you are going to exile not exile but you are going to Canaan a land where they are worshipping idols i'm teaching you how to abide by my holiness so you don't blend with the gods you meet there that was what Leviticus was doing now numbers they went to spy the land. They got there, they saw giants. <sighs> then they said, "You know what? The same Moses that caused you to come out of Egypt, the same Moses that separated the Red Sea, the same Moses that gave you manna to—they you know, are not doing manna—but the same Moses that did all these things—you now saw the giants. And I said, Moses, you would have left us to die in Egypt. You would have left us to die in Egypt. You brought us here to die. So now, rather than wait for God." and his instruction they tried to kill Moses they tried to elect they tried to elect a new leader actually to take them back to Egypt I get what I'm saying they tried to elect someone new to take them back to Egypt and God said you rebelled against me so God is angry and God said you know what none of you in this generation will see the promised land only your offspring so they went into the desert and went around for 40 years until all of them in that generation died and their offsprings were the ones who were going to enter into the promised land. Are you learning something? Yet again are you seeing the pattern? God gives man autonomy. Man rebels against God. God exiles man to teach him a lesson. Are you seeing what I'm saying? To teach him a lesson. But yet the grace of God is still available. The grace of God is still available. The grace of God is still available. One time they were they were attacked by snakes. Moses had to raise up a brazen serpent so that they should look, and anyone who look. You see, God was entreating them that your survival is by obedience. Your survival is by obedience. How will looking cure you of snake bites? Are you saying this? How look looking cure you of snake bites? That's why Jesus was saying it. It was not Jesus, was one of the writers of the of the of the of the gospels that was saying it, that as Moses lifted up the prison serpent, look and see, that was the message. That's the same message in the Gospels, believe in Jesus and receive. Listen, it's not about what you think you can do to end that salvation, it's about obedience to the instructions of God. It's about obedience to the instructions of God. It's about obedience. Now we go to the book of Deuteronomy, the final book of the Torah, Moses stands before a new generation. He begins to explain the law. So Deuteronomy, is, it means second law because it was a reiteration of the laws and then some newer ones were added. So Israel Israel's rebellion is visible. God's grace is visible. But now in Deuteronomy, he gives them one new law called the Shammah. And the words of the Shammah is simple. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Are you getting this? This is what Jesus meant when he says that there is a great commandment, one, that you shall love the Lord your God. That This was what it was because the idea is the obedience of God as the Lord your God. Worship no other God. So he gave them the Shema and this is repeated all through Israel's history because this was what they were failing and this was what God wanted them to know. The Lord your God. The Lord is our God first of all. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul and with all your might. The question still remains, how is God going to transform their hearts? Because now he has told them, I am your Lord and you shall love me with all you have. a time is fast spent. Get to the book of Joshua, it details the conquest of Canaan, and they reaffirm their vows to God to follow God in in, in Joshua. But yet again, even though they promised to see to follow God, in the book of Judges, we see that they don't do that. Now, the book of Judges referred to the period between the death of Joshua until when they requested a king, so there was a period of confusion. So, in those period, in that period, rather different judges came and the judges themselves were imperfect, but there was confusion. So they had judges like Samson. So it was, it was a historical narrative, judges, but the, judges, the the book of Judges was ultimately saying the people were confused. Something better was needed. Because they still were rebelling. They still were doing the things that they should not do. And that something better that was going to come or what they, at least they thought it was what was going to come, was kingship. So they requested a king Now we go to the book of Samuel Uh, Please, are you getting this? That same lineage now Now we go to the book of Samuel The beginning of kingship And there's something we call the United or unified kingship It didn't last long Right? Saul, David, Solomon Those were the united kings So from Saul to David to Solomon But then We get to this guy Solomon who we thought was a wise king but we realized towards the end that he was a foolish king and he was foolish because all he was after was women and money and he worshipped other idols apart from God he worshipped other gods apart from God rather and so because of him, the kingdom is split into two the northern and the southern kingdom I've taught you about this before, right? the northern and the southern kingdom But here's the problem Both the kings of the north and the kings of the south are corrupt and bad They broke the laws So we go to the book of kings The book of kings begins to detail to you the history of the kings that existed So remember the northern kingdom was called what? Israel The southern kingdom was called what? Judah Right? So Jeroboam was the first king of the north Remember northern kingdom Israel Jeroboam was the first king of the north but what happened? Jeroboam broke the law, and one of the laws that Jeroboam broke was that shaman. Are you getting what I'm saying? You must have no other God but the Lord your God. So Jeroboam broke it, and all the kings that followed him after broke the law. All of them, all of them. That's for the northern kingdom. The southern kings who were David's descendants were a bit better, but not that much better. Why? Because Thirteen of the kings continue to worship idols. So you will see that in the first year of the reign of Jehoiakim, that's how the writing in Kings is. It's trying to tell you they are, they are you know, what they did. So thirteen of the kings continue to worship idols. But seven of the kings were like, were like David. We have Jehoshaphat. We have Josiah. They were offspring of David. And the one thing they did was that they removed the idols but the one thing they did not do well was they still left the high places of those idols Are you see what I'm saying? But at least they removed the idols because they themselves did not know the ways of God fully but they honored the Lord Are you getting what I'm saying? They honored the Lord They honored the Lord So, Samuel and Kings were written during, towards the end of actually during their exile period and what the books examined was the kings, how the kings did are you seeing what I am saying, how did they do was the kingship a good time or was it not, did the kings follow God or did they not follow God, what were their mistakes and what the book of Samuel and Kings was trying to do for them is answer the question, why are we in exile are you getting this I think the are starting to get clearer when you begin to understand this, so Samuel and Kings is sort of telling them this is what the kings did and this is why the Lord punished you because the punishment for the Lord your God not being the Lord your God is that God will send you to exile he told them in Deuteronomy that I will punish you and send you to exile if you worship other gods are you seeing this? so the book of Samuel and Kings was trying to show the children of Israel later on that this is why you are in exile you broke that simple law your kings came and they did not worship the Lord Chronicles is another book, the next book. It gives a positive review of the same thing. The same thing Samuel and Kings wrote. That's why you see repetitions in Chronicles. But Chronicles sort of was forward-facing. It tried to remove a bit of the bad and focus forward on the coming hope. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Are you learning something? So, because of the continuing sin and rebellion of Israel, before we get to Daniel, God sent prophets like Ezekiel. Jeremiah to tell them that because of your sin God's judgment would come let me crack a simple joke this is why you will not go to Ezekiel and carry the judgment of God on Israel and come and be quoting it in your prayer because it sounds deep and thou the Lord shall judge you for your... it's not you calm down (laughs) so God sent the prophets to Tell them that they've done wrong. To point out they're wrong to them. They did not worship the one true God. And if they didn't do that, God was going to judge them and was going to bring the Babylonians against them. Are you learning something? So, Jeremiah and Ezekiel proclaim their, their sins against them and the punishment for their sins. Now, as we begin to get closer to Daniel, the story is getting clear, right? Worship God or you're going to exile. God gives you autonomy. You rebel against God. God gives you grace again. You rebel against God. Now you are in exile as punishment. Now, finally, in this period, there was a kingdom called Assyria. The people were called Assyrians, and this was the dominant empire in this time. The dominant, you know, uh, um, empire at least at this time. And Assyria had world power, and the the power center for the Assyrian kingdom is in modern-day Iraq, modern-day northern Iraq. So where Iraq is today, in the north of it was the, the power center for the Assyrian kingdom. And then there was another kingdom called the Babylonian kingdom. And the power center of the Babylonian kingdom was in southern Iraq. Now, the Babylonians were vassal cities Va- a, it was a, ba- Babylon was a vassal kingdom oh, I forgot a story the end of Exodus was the Tower of Babel the end of Exodus was the Tower of Babel at the end of that what happened was this they gathered and they started to build a temple a, 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 a high rise trying to reach heaven Genesis rather trying to reach heaven and in that attempt, they were showing God, in quotes, that they could reach him. And that was why God caused that division. It's part of the storyline. I just wanted to mention it so that you remember that it's in the middle of the things they kept on doing. That's why God scattered their tongue. Alright? Now let's go back to where we are. So Babylonia was a vassal city under... Assyria. What does it mean for someone to be a vassal city? So it's like this when a, a higher you know power um, Kingdom comes and takes over another kingdom when they win that kingdom What they do is that they take over, but they don't rule it They take somebody from there and put the person in charge to rule But the, the person is not, they are not ruling themselves. They are still under that kingdom They are still paying tax to the kingdom that colonized them. It's like colonization do you what I'm saying? It's like colonization, but they allow your rulers to remain. So this was Assyria and Babylon. Are we clear on that? Assyria, world power, Babylon, vassal city, vassal empire. Are you with me? So they were subject to the Assyrians, paying tax, paying taxes. Now, in 722 BC, the army of Assyria defeated the whole of northern, northern the northern kingdom, which was Israel. So Assyrians took those ones captives. Who can guess why they took them captive? This was the judgment for rebelling. Are you seeing this? This was the judgment for rebelling. Now Assyrian took those ones captive, and what they did when they took them captive is this: Assyria imported their people into northern Israel and exported the people in northern Israel to come and stay in their own place. Are you seeing this? So that's what they used to do. They bring their people in and they bring those ones out. So their people started to intermarry. That's where Samaritans came from. Do you remember the story. That's where Samaritans came from. Now the king of Babylon. Now his name is not mentioned in the bible but when you study historical material you will know that his name is Nabopolatsa. So this was the current king here. He rebelled against Assyria. So they ran when they when they had that fight and then he rebelled, the people sort of the Babylonians defeated Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, and the people retreated and settled somewhere. So this kingdom became sort of half of what it used to be. Are you getting what I'm saying? Following these guys that were vassal city under Assyria attacked Assyria. This is Babylon. They attacked Assyria. Now, the Assyrians, because of this ran and went to settle somewhere else. So these guys now have been attacked. Now while these guys are busy fighting and all these things happening, remember the southern, king, the southern kingdom is still here. They are the ones that have at least seven of them were good. They, there was another world power, Egypt. Remember, even after the Egyptians died, there's see Egypt and Egypt was ruled by someone called Nepo. So King Necho of Egypt 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 was still in the picture But all these sons were busy fighting So what happened? The Egyptian Pharaoh Necho was worried about Babylonian influence Because Babylon has started to sort of, you know Rule and get mouth and get name and all those things So, you know, he decided, you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to come and fight the Babylonian And just stop them because if they are attacking Assyria Very soon they'll come to my land are you understanding? Very soon they will do what they'll come to my land. So this guy, I'm just going to duplicate this. So this guy decides to make a trip here to come and fight so that they will defeat his people. Do you see this? So Pharaoh was like, you know what? I'm going to go and you know attack these guys, these Babylonian guys, so that they don't come to my people. Problem is this. At this time, Josiah was the king here, and Josiah was a good king. Josiah was the king. In southern kingdom and at this time Josiah was a good king meaning that they are taking away all the idols. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even though they were still the high places. So Josiah hears that Necho is coming to attack Babylonians. Instead of Josiah to sit down, Josiah decided to stand up (laughs) and go and fight. Now history, popular popular stories have it that Neko told Josiah that in defeating Babylon, he was doing God's will. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Josiah did not answer. Josiah decided to fight him. But guess what? Because of that, Josiah was killed. These things are important. Don't think I'm just doing story for you. If you don't understand this, you won't understand the full story. Are you learning something? I'm just going to repeat this so everybody knows where we are. Where are we? There's a northern, there's a southern kingdom. Same people with the prophecy, all right? Now, these guys, they disobeyed the law. The northern kingdom, they don't have any good king. The southern kingdom, at least they have seven good kings who did not worship idols. The punishment for what they did is exile. So, Assyria is a big kingdom. Assyria had already colonized Babylon. Assyria comes and then colonizes the Northern Kingdom. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So, the people in the Northern Kingdom have half their people in Assyria, half their people still there, and half of Assyrian people in the Northern Kingdom. Exporting and importing of people, that's what they do. Do you get what I'm saying? They take your people and they take them to your to their land. You They will become slaves. They bring their leaders and they bring them to your land as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then their leaders also are there. They mix with your people and they help them keep control. Anyways, that happened. But Southern Kingdom is still fine. While Southern Kingdom is fine, Babylon rebels against Assyria. As Babylon re- 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 rebels against Assyria, the Kingdom of Assyria is smaller. But the Kingdom of Babylon is getting bigger. They are getting stronger. Assyria is getting weaker. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Assyria is getting weaker. While Assyria is getting weaker, these guys are still here. Southern Kingdom, they are doing fine. But remember, they also had 13 kings who did not do well. So they didn't also meet up to the target. Now, Necho is like, ah, Babylon is getting stronger. I cannot let Babylon continue strong. So I'm going to come and attack him. Instead of Josiah to stay on his own and believe that Neko is attacking Babylon for the purpose of God, Josiah, the king of the southern kingdom, decides to intervene. In intervening, intervening, he dies in battle. Is it clear today? While this happened, Josiah dies in battle. But Josiah's son becomes king. And Josiah's son's name, is all Alright? I mean, the names might be weird to pronounce, but his name is Jehoahaz. He becomes king. He is also a good king like his father. He's also a good king like his father. But here's the problem now. When Neko went to fight, Neko did not totally win his battle, so he retreated. So there was a retreat of Neko. But while Neko was retreating, he did not go back straight to Egypt. He decided to come on his way so the southern kingdom, are you seeing this? So Neko goes to the southern kingdom. But what Neko did in the southern kingdom is that Neko killed Jehoahaz. You see, plenty who have died in this story. <laughs> are you seeing this? He kills him, he now installs another son of Josiah. Who can guess who that son is? Jehoiakim. Are you getting where the story is coming from now? You will still understand, don't worry. So, he installs Jehoiakim as king, but the reason why he installed Jehoiakim as king is not because Jehoiakim is the best person to lead, but it's because Jehoiakim would be more susceptible to Egypt's influence. He was not a good king. Are you getting this? He was not a good king. Now, Nabopolaza, who was the king of Assyria, you know, this is many years after, he also dies. His son takes over. His son's name, who can guess? Nebuchadnezzar. This brings us to chapter 1 and verse 1. Alright? So, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, remember, Jehoiakim had just become king because Josiah intervened in Necho's battle, Josiah died, his son became king, while Necho did not win the war he went to fight in Babylon, he was retreating, he killed the good son and installed the bad son. The bad son is Jehoiakim. What makes Jehoiakim the bad son? He's going to be worshipping idols as well, right? He's going to be worshipping idols. So, he continues to worship idols, but then, the Bible then tells us, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, remember this is the southern kingdom of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, remember Babylon has grown stronger, has defeated Assyria. Are you seeing this? Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinah to the house of his God, and he brought the article into the treasure of his God. Now, this is what happens when this type of colonization happens. When they fight a battle and they win the other kingdom, they will take items that belong to the God of that kingdom to their own kingdom and put it in their shrine the reason why they would do that is to prove to you that our god has captured your god are you getting what i'm saying remember the story of Dagon. they took the act of covenant and put it there and what happened Dagon had to bow down so it was a common practice in that time you know to prove that our god has Captured your God, (laughs) you know, or some people also use it to say that your God is now on our side Do you understand what I'm saying? So they will say your God is now on our side because the things of your God are now in the temple of our God Are you getting what I'm saying? So this is the story You know, this is how the story of Daniel sets. So how did we get to Daniel 1? We're still in the story of God's promise to the descendant Israel, to that tribe. Are you getting this? We're still in that point of that promise. There's still that promise, but we're seeing a pattern of God giving free will and autonomy, mankind rebelling, God giving grace, mankind rebelling, and God sending mankind to exile to learn, and then he shows them grace. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And then he shows them grace. And so Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 is set in a time where they had broken the laws of God. And as punishment, they are going into exile. The northern kingdom had already gone into exile. The southern kingdom was just going into exile. And this was the time of Daniel. Hallelujah. So on Sunday, we're going to begin in Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. And then we're going to continue the story. Did you learn something? Yes, yes sir. Yes, sir.